You guys are listening to the Jordan Garber Now podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Are you looking for the best vehicle for your needs at an affordable budget? Well, Hickman Auto Sales and Financing has exactly what you're looking for. Choose from a wide variety of vehicles like the 2012 Hyundai Tucson GLS, the 2016 Chrysler 200 LX, and the 2020 Chevrolet Tahoe. All trades are accepted and paid off, and child tax, pension, disability, EI, social assistance, or self-employed are all approved. Low payments of $0 down. For more information, call 204-898-3511 or visit hickmanautofinancing.com. Tell them Jordan Garber now sent you. Welcome to another episode of the Jordan Garber Now podcast, and we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Today we have two jam-packed interviews. Our main event interview is with none other than CWE star, the mastermind, Kevin Cannon. And as well, our first interview of the day will be with none other than Austin Towers. But first, I do want to say, uh, listen to the commercials on this show, and please support our sponsors. Without our sponsors, Jordan Garber is not what it is today. And we are having the Road Warrior Animal coming up in September and more big names to be announced. So stay tuned to Jordan Garber Now and please support our sponsors. The interviews on Jordan Garber Now are coming up next after this commercial break. Do you remember Real Aid Media? Well, the creator of that has another solution for you. Check it out. This is an emergency kit and a home safety evaluation for free. This kit has 180 pieces, such as a blanket, light stick, flashlight, cold pack, burn cream, and much, much more. This company is giving them away free to qualified homeowners, as well as a complimentary home safety evaluation for advertising purposes. The link available here is surveymonkey.com backslash r backslash 204b. That's S-U-R-V-E-Y-M-O-N-K-E-Y dot C-O-M backslash R backslash 204B. Check it out now. Towers is making his debut here on the Jordan Garber Now podcast. The man that is seven feet tall. What does he have to say? We're all going to find out next. Welcome, everybody, to the Jordan Garber Now podcast. Yes, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We are here with none other than the seven-foot man himself, the Tower, the Austin Towers, I should say. How's it going, man? Great to have you on the program. I'm I'm good, man. I'm really good. I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing really good. I honestly I can't complain. And uh, wow, when it comes to training and ground roots and uh, building from the ground up, you certainly are most familiar with that. 
training with the WWA4 Wrestling School. None other than former WWF star and legendary Mr. Hughes. Actually, we might be on this show in the future down the road. So how was that experience? You know, you're, you're learning now from one of the best. He's passing the torch along to you in that ring training as you're hungry to uh, compete and get in there. So what was it like, you know, learning from one of the best? Well, um, Mr. Hughes definitely knows a lot. I'll definitely tell you that. And he definitely has a lot of knowledge as far as what to do in and out of the ring and everything. like So, you know, I, um, to, to keep it straight with you, you know, Mr. Hughes did not like me at first. So I didn't really get to, I didn't really get to pick his brain a lot because, you know, uh, every trainer has his favorites and I wasn't one of them. So even though uh, I have lasted this long without him, you know what I'm saying? I can't take away uh, from the fact that he had the wrestling school and that, um, you know, the little training that he did give me kind of helped, uh, helped in the long run. But, uh, you know, he's a he's a pretty insightful guy when it comes to wrestling. That's for sure. You know, it all started out with you in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, working those shows at, uh, you know, multiple venues across there and just doing that pretty much throughout 2015, 2016, alongside with Ooh. WWW and PSW. But for the most part... It was all Mr. Hughes and WWA4, uh, working guys like Joe Hyken, Prince Apollo, Ashton Starr, yes, and yes, uh, in TNA now, uh, Impact Wrestling's own Kiara Hogan. So, you know, working all these guys, like your first match, getting exposure, you know, them being maybe in there a little longer, maybe some being in there the same amount of time. Uh, what were the beginnings of chemistry that you learned to develop during that time? Well, to be quite honest with you, um, I have played a lot of sports before I got into professional wrestling. So having to transition from, from that to wrestling was, it was, is a, it was a bit of a learning curve for me. You know, you go into, you know, from the basketball court, from the, from the football field to the wrestling ring, it's uh, it's kind of like a culture shock. So it, it kind of, uh, it kind of took a little bit for me to kind of get the hang of things. But once it clicked, it clicked. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I feel like every wrestler kind of has that moment where they're kind of struggling at first, trying to learn the steps and making sure they get all the, the correct formations and everything right. And then when it clicks, it's just, boom, there's a whole new world of wrestling. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's the thing is we all share one thing in common, and that's the love of a professional wrestling. But uh, you know Thanks. what? Uh, something that caught my eye uh, was something I guess kind of touched very uh, quickly was Anarchy Wrestling, a really well-known uh, company there in uh, Atlanta. And you had a show there at the church in Cornelia. Uh, I believe that yes. was against the Viking War Party. So Yes, that was under the uh, – it was under Why We Wrestle. Yes, yes. that's what it was. A, yes. How yes. was that, man? That must have I been a great – that, that must have been a big crowd. It's, it, it um it was it was uh, it was a decent crowd it was a decent crowd um and you know anarchy is definitely one of those like you said it's like it's one of those staple shows here in Georgia I'd say definitely uh, uh top top three as far as Georgia shows that you would want to get on so you know being in the ring with Viking War Party both of those guys they're they're hungry individuals they're very serious about what they do especially uh the now the now warhorse as we've seen the uh, uh the success and um, the momentum that that guy has had. So it's, it's cool seeing that, you know, people that uh, you kind of started out wrestling at first to finally kind of get some exposure 
So it's cool. Real cool. Awesome. What about PSW? That was also a Pro South Wrestling down there in Alabama. PS, yes. I believe. Uh, you worked yes. the likes of yes. Alistair. You were teamed with. You actually had a t- group there called the Left Hand Path. How did that turn mm-hmm. into development? Well, um, when I first started out, I kind of was getting in the groove of things, and then I got approached by uh, Eric Silva. Uh, he actually go. Uh, he would come to the weekly WWE Four Thursday shows. He, he saw me wrestle, and it kind of uh, extended the invitation to um, be a part of the Left Hand Path, which we are, are still active uh, today. And it's uh, it's funny that you mentioned Pro South because I'm actually going to be wrestling there this Friday against uh, Jeter, if you don't know uh, who that guy is. But uh, he, he's another dude who is about uh, 6'10", 6'11", and, uh, you know, reaching almost about 400 pounds. So we're supposed to be having a last man standing match over at Piedmont, Alabama. So that's going to be that's going to be absolute war, and I can't uh, I can't wait I can't wait. How about uh, you know you worked also uh, you know let's go back down to this year kind of fast tracking a lot. Uh, Hold my beer, Hanson. You know what a unique yeah. character. What do you what a unique uh, like I, I just love it, man. That's just something that's innovative <laughs> and original. You know, how was working him? He had a good, solid nine-minute match there at the Civic Center in Bremen. Uh, was, like, any anything special to point out about that match, if you can recall, in, there in March? Hold my beer, Hanson. Man, oh, man. Hold my beer, Hanson. He, he, right, he is 100% uh, a character. You know, um, the guy with the, I, I would say, a guy with a great heart probably, you know, drinks uh, too much beer. Uh, to be a professional wrestler, but um, as far as uh, you know, what he's shown in the ring, you know, he's got to show a little bit more. You know, yeah. Once I had that one-on-one with him, I believe you're mentioning uh, I was at Peach State. Yes, Peach State uh, Wrestling Alliance. Peach State Wrestling. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, he just wasn't. He just didn't. Couldn't cut the mustard. He just wasn't good enough. And unfortunately, in the business, you know, you can't always be a nice guy, and he had to learn, and I had to put him in his place. So it's unfortunate for him, but, you know, it's it, hopefully it's a learning experience. Hopefully. Well, what doesn't kill you uh, makes you stronger. So uh, Of course. Let's talk about, you know, uh, chemistry. You know, I just see Wrestler's Lab mm-hmm. here, and before I talk about that, I just want to kind of ask about mm. the beginnings. Like I think we talked about the beginnings of chemistry. What were some guys though, like in the middle of your career, that just you just really could just have a good match with and just click and connect with the whole time? Okay, it's in the middle of my career. So, um, first off, uh, he's not my tag team partner. Um, aside from the left hand path, his name is Aaron Black, and uh, we're we're uh, called the West Coast Kings. And we're actually current tag team champions over at uh, GIPW in Macon, Georgia. Nice. Uh, so he's definitely one of them. You know, I had a lot of great matches. In the middle of my career, I was in Rocket City, and that was in Hazel Green, Alabama. Uh, let's see, from just off the top of my head, you know, uh, Trey Franklin, uh, the Demon Freak. Uh, let's see, Caden Sade, Mike Cobb. Um, Hopefully, I'm not forgetting too many names, you know. But every everybody over there, those are just some of the few that I've really, uh, really come to have some good chemistry with. And especially not forgetting any of the WWE four guys, you know. Since we train together, we kind of know, you know, who does what and how we move since we all trained at the same spot. So, you know, guys like, um, you know, Astro Star, 
Um, Joe Hyken was one of my favorites before he uh, before he took, took a break on wrestling. Uh, Prince Apollo, Axel, Axel, um, Axel Ross. You know that dude. Those guys were uh, are absolutely amazing guys. Um, and honestly, I'd say they can they can put on just as much of the show uh, as I can, if not more. Great stuff. Now, talk about, you know, uh, your signature moves here. We got the World's Tallest Slam and the Hanging Headlocks and the uh, uh, Trophium's Law. You know, what were, what were kind Tro- of the... Tropium's Trophium's Law, yes. Tropium's Law. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a weird name to pronounce. Not many people know know about that word, but yeah, no, Tropium's Law. I, how was that, that created? Like, how did that start? Because that's like, I don't okay. even know what that word means, man. So... Uh, okay, so Tropium is a, it's a, it's a thing called Tropium Tower, and it's what uh, I kind of base myself up as far as um, character-wise now. Military now, victory? What, no, is that it, it's almost, it's like that, Tropium, Tropium is a tower, and at the top of the tower you have, you have the king, and on, on that top of the tower he has to defend that, that point at all times, and if he loses he gets thrown off. Of um, the law is that if he loses his battle, loses his spot, he gets thrown off of the uh, of Tropium's tower. And if he survives the fall, then he he has to make his way back up from the bottom. And uh, the Tropium's law was my was my chicken wing gut buster, which I would lift him up in the air and I would drop him down, drop him on my knees. Um, and that's that's where it came from. I don't use it as much anymore. Um, I have now I now use a bicycle kick. And a layout choke slam uh, as uh, as my finishes now. So those are you know I'm kind of ever since I've had those I've definitely uh, stepped up my my repertoire of moves so uh, I can be more versatile and more dangerous uh, whoever I face. You know what I'm saying? No matter what size. Besides WWE and AEW and even Impact Wrestling, in terms of the international wrestling product, what products do you have in mind and what countries do you usually enjoy watching to enhance your style besides the states uh, okay well i mean um there's nothing in really in particular that i watch it's more or less uh people in particular um the people that i watched growing up that i really studied was um was old school kane old school undertaker uh, you had dudes like, you know, Triple H and uh, up in New Japan and even in Impact, uh, one of my favorites, Nigel McGuinness, which was which, uh, was one of my favorites, which in the beginning of my career, I based off uh, a lot of my moves uh, off of him. <laughs> him, uh, Brody Lee, which everybody knows is uh, Luke Harper. Uh, he's in AEW right now as Brody Lee, but he was another guy that I really watched. So it, it wasn't really particularly I, – I stayed looking at one product. It's more or less who – uh, who caught my eye and who I really want to kind of just uh, study and, and see how they move and, and, you know, see if I can kind of add that into into my move set or, you know, kind of base off the psychology of what they do. That's pretty much Southern. Better. That's pretty much Southern style yeah. wrestling, too. So, you know, and I course, love yeah. that. I love that style. And that's why I love talking to, like, wrestlers like yourself from down uh, down there because, like, you know, you guys remind you guys are the most authentic form of what the territories were back then. You know, you you, you look at NWA down there in Tennessee, or you go down there oh, yeah. to Cornelia, Georgia, NWA Wildside back in the day. 
you know, that actually felt like those territories still existed. And Georgia has that legacy of pro wrestling. It's probably one of the most uh, prestigious wrestling history places in all of America. Besides, like, Philadelphia. The South South in itself is is, uh, a gold mine when it comes to wrestling. And people, like, it thrived so much back in the day, and it's lost a lot of its, um, I don't want to say loss of its flavor, but it's definitely a lot of loss of its kick, and it needs to it needs to come back 100%. And hopefully, with these uh, with you know the uh, COVID-19, hopefully when that dies down and uh, everything kind of picks back up, hopefully we can bring that back uh, up to its prestige level that it used to be. You know what I'm saying? So uh, one step at a time. Absolutely. All we can do is uh, live one day at a time. And uh, before we wrap things up here. You know, what's the road like down where you are? You know, different locker rooms are different and things like that. But do you have, like, a road story for us before we wrap things up? Something to take home with the fans listening from Winnipeg to Kenya to uh, all the way to New Zealand or Australia and beyond. Oh, man, that's – you asked a question that I have way too many answers for, my man. Um, ah, let's, let's see. Okay, well, since we talked about Hughes, there's a thing that, that all the <laughs> – all the wrestlers that trained over there knows is that uh, Hughes he um, he broke he broke his middle finger on his right hand and he refused to get it fixed and so his middle finger is like is permanently uh, is permanently straight he can't bend it so a lot of times when people come up to him and they ask for a fist bump. Or something like that. It looks like he's flipping him off, but giving him a fist bump at the same time. So a lot of people come in and they get like offended, but they're like, "No, that's just that's just his finger." <laughs> and he'll and he'll just point with that little middle finger because he knows that uh, that's the only finger that points out. So no, Mr. Hughes, man. Uh, so so many stories, man. I I take up way too much of your time if I if I was just talking about him, man. Well, you know, we already heard uh, some amazing Jake Roberts stories uh, on the last interview, and now uh, some Mr. Hughes on the line. Uh, Austin Towers, you know, thanks for bringing your size sure. and your uh, your domination in the ring here on the Jordan Garber Now podcast for the world to listen to. Awesome. Are you looking for cards for any occasion, whether that's weddings, birthday parties, or just straight out for fun? Well, check out MyTradingCards.com, and they can create any trading card for you. The official trading card of the Jordan Garber Now podcast. Lots of wrestling news for us as of late, and obviously news that each and every one of you guys have heard of, but it is very important to recap and maybe hear a little bit of analysis on this. Uh, Dominic Mysterio, a possible name change. Uh, They're going to potentially be looking into changing the name of Dominic Mysterio into Prince Mysterio. Uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, get him some more training and uh, give him some more experience. And uh, what Rey Mysterio said, quote, is that they're trying to incorporate the uh, good story between the fans and the rich history of Lucha Libre and the masks. So I think that's really exciting. I think that should be really, really awesome. Uh, Renee Young reportedly, uh, reportedly sorry, leaving the WWE. Uh, it showed that she gave her notice to the company one week ago. 
and she did take some time or off earlier this summer after po- testing positive for COVID-19. So uh, she did appear on some uh, WWE programming since then, but she also did reveal plans for her first cookbook. So all the best to Renee Young in her future. You know, that one of uh, another talent that started out here in Canada out at the score. And uh, I watched Aftermath. What a great program that that show was. I believe it's still on the score. and uh, Or Sportsnet. And literally, Renee Young worked so hard. She got drafted to the score. She entered a competition to be an announcer. She won the competition out of hundreds of people. Worked for the score for a year. And signed with WWE. And had an absolutely amazing run. So good for her. Just nothing but good vibes. Uh, to her, but uh, Stardom, in bad news here, more bad news, Stardom has cancelled the rest of August events due to a member testing positive for COVID-19. Wrestling in Japan was usually running really strong during the pandemic, and now uh, with Stardom shutting down, that's a huge blow right now. Uh, I just really hope that everybody can, uh, like, stick together during this pandemic and get through this, because uh, uh, it's not only affecting us and our families, it's affecting the things we love, and uh, everyone around us, and it just sucks to see a world uh, go into this kind of craziness and pandemic state, and uh, what are you going to do? you got to do what you got to do to be safe for all the wrestlers, and good on stardom for that, but uh, man, I just really hope that pandemic ends soon, because uh, ends soon, apparently I can't speak today, but uh, no, I really want that pandemic to end soon, because it's not good at all for the wrestling business, And and that leads me to, like, this is like a something that you'd see in a dream. WWE is coming up with the Thunderdome, which I'm excited because as a pro instead of a con, you actually have a chance to be on WWE. So obviously I'm going to be signing up for the Thunderdome and things like that, but it's like 2000, 1999, full crowds and big arenas, all state arena, packed. Um, the Spectrum, packed. Uh, anywhere in Philadelphia, any arena there, packed. And now it's like we have a virtual audience and it looks like it's just we're in the future now. We're just so far into the future and it's uh, it's unbelievable. It really is how uh, it's come to this. But I'm excited about the Thunderdome. I think, it's, yeah, I think it's very exciting and I think it gives everybody an opportunity to share their voice and be on television. So I think that's really cool. Uh, what else? Bret Hart's content has been removed from the WWE Network as well. I'm going to provide more of that on the uh, news update, which I provide to you guys a few times every week, available on Facebook and YouTube. But uh, they also revealed trademark filings for the uh, WWE Thunderdome, and uh, there's going to be a WWE draft, teasing that the stars may be drafted from the main roster to NXT, kind of making it what it used to be with like the ECW brand. So that should be a little exciting. Um, just... There's a lot going on in wrestling, but a lot needs to go on in wrestling to uh, survive these tough times and survive this pandemic. So hopefully history keeps happening, good things keep happening, and eventually this pandemic can come to an end and we can all all, uh, go back to normal once and uh, for all, that's for sure. Anyways, uh, that was pretty much the news portion of this show. Uh, Still stay tuned later tonight, our interview with Kevin Cannon up next on Jordan Garber Now. Newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, 
PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. You heard the Muse promo code PowerSlam now. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, please welcome to Jordan Garbernow, the leader of the Cannon Corporation, none other than the mastermind, Kevin Cannon. This guy is no stranger to Jordan Garber, myself. This guy is actually one of the first guys I ever met in the professional wrestling industry, and Kevin Cannon is up next on the Jordan Garber Now podcast. All right, we are back here on the Jordan Garber Now podcast with none other than one of the most disliked guys, safe to say, in Winnipeg Wrestling right now. One of the top, uh, you know, rebels of the CWE, just causing havoc everywhere. Kevin Cannon, great to have you on the show, man. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And and, and just to be clear, uh, you know, just, there's, there's a guy that I'm not too happy with in the Winnipeg scene right now, so I'd really, really appreciate it if you don't use the word rebel in connection to my name anything else is fine i don't know if i'm too fond of being referred to as rebel i don't want people to think i'm still associated with a certain somebody who uh has left my employee very recently but before we get to that like it comes to think you know you and this guy we don't want to name you guys have had a long history together so you know maybe let's look at the big picture do you see yourself you know teaming with him and adding him to the cannon clan down the road or is he done that's it he's finished Oh no, we're the corporation now. We we dropped we dropped the clan. We're the clan of corporation now. But he has done. He will he will never ever ever again be part of any kind of corporation, organization, infrastructure, anything at all that I have any say in. That I even have one poker in the fire in. He will never ever ever be a part of anything to do with me. Oh my! Well, those are some big words. We're gonna have to get him on the podcast to respond. But uh, let's talk about. The early days, like way back when with Don Callis, you know, this guy is responsible for training, you know, some of the the greats, not just in Manitoba wrestling, but uh, throughout North America. So what was that style like? Like what kind of style you you have like kind of like a brawler showman style. So like what did you learn in terms of the fundamentals like right away that you still use to this day? Don taught me a lot, Don. And I really wish. Uh, I could have had something else to, to measure it up to, to compare it to back then. You know, that was, I had never set foot in a wrestling ring or a training facility of any kind uh, before my first day of, of camp with Don Callis. But uh, Don's methods of training and, and just his overall knowledge of the industry and the psychology that goes into it and the physicality of it and, and the drills he put us through and everything he put us through was was amazing. He's got a great mind for the business, but he um, he told us right on the first day what he was going to do, and he did it. He said, I am going to break all of you down mentally and physically, and then I'm going to build you back up how I want you to be. And that's that's what he did. That's what he proceeded to do over the course of the next eight weeks, five days a week, you know, four or five hours a day. He did it right up until we were ready to go for our very first match. Well, kind of like that military style training. How hard was that adjustment? You know, get up and go, get up and go, get up and go. Was that something that you just had in your work ethic, or did that take some adjustment just being young and green? Um, 
work ethic wise, yeah, I wasn't uh, mentally, I wasn't going to let anything stop me from uh, from completing it and doing it and and doing what I could with it. Physically, though, uh, I, I really wish I had prepared myself uh, more for it. And you know, if there's anything I could ever recommend to anybody considering uh, becoming a professional wrestler, it is get yourself in the best physical shape that you can possibly first, and then take that next step and find the right you know, training camp and, and people to teach you uh, what it is. Because if you do it in the opposite order, which was I was just too um, thoughtless and naive, and, and that's what I did, you will you'll be in a world of hurt. So physically, it was tough. It was I wasn't used to that kind of uh, training and grind, and just everything was um, just – you know, it, it all served a purpose and it all really did help. And it all said, hey, you know, this, it basically set the tone for nothing is going to be easy. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be hard and it's always going to be hard. But, you know, if you want to do it, here's what we got to do. So I did eventually, you know, take my um, training and conditioning and, and my physical shape more seriously. But I really wish I would have done that first rather than train first and then, you know, get into the best shape that I can get into. But yeah, he really, uh, he really made it uh, tough physically. Just all the uh, all the drills, all the calisthenics, the training, and every single part of it. And there was no, okay, that's good enough. It's like, nope, we're not moving on until everyone does this. Nope, you finish your 50 push-ups, 50 squats, 50 sit-ups. Nope, you guys run your laps. And then when the last person is back, then we start our next drill. I don't care if that person has to crawl. We're doing it. Like He was, he was adamant about everybody completing everything together as a team, and, and we did it. So, you know, that, must, that time must have flew by, you know, before we get on to the River City Wrestling and the Norquay Community Club in those good old days. You know, like, when you were finished that, did the time just fly by fast? Did you feel, like, well accomplished? Because you put work into something and you get the overall result. So, like, were you much better in-ring and more confident having your first match after that for RCW? If that was your date where you debuted? Or was it just more of a, a just something that you adjusted to and it's just part of your everyday routine? Um, we were definitely confident going into it. We we had the benefit of, of knowing what the match was going to be uh, a couple weeks ahead of time, and and basically being able to rehearse the match till we had it down to uh, to a T. So at least that part, you know, which is which is a huge part of professional wrestling, is the spontaneity of it, and you know, calling things on the fly and being able to adjust and listen and uh, feel things out. That, that that's a big big part of it that only comes with being in front of those people. Uh, luckily, we did have that that benefit of being able to you know, rehearse every single uh, move, maneuver, and step in that match before going out and having our first match on that River City show that, that Don had arranged for us to all be on, including himself. Um, beyond that, there was, there was a level of confidence. I knew that I didn't know everything. I knew that there was still a lot to learn, and I knew that the only way I was going to improve was by, you know, experience, getting my reps and getting my matches under my belt. Talk about these first guys you worked with in the ring. These are some really old names here in the Winnipeg scene. John Walker, Steve Cox, Trey Valiant, and I believe, if I'm saying this correctly, the great Wazabi. Uh, you know, that's such a long time ago. And I look at the guys now and the stars that the local scene has produced. Uh, you know, working with these guys in 2001, are there any tips or pointers that they kind of taught you along the way having those few, few, first few matches, or uh, was it just... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Those guys were a little bit later. I actually started in 1999, um, so uh, those guys, some of those guys came a little bit later. Trey Valiant, I believe, was Ryan Price, who still makes an occasional 
uh, appearance with CWE and, and kind of he's got a, a career as a magician and uh, it keeps him quite busy. But when he's able to, you know, he'll come down to uh, to rookies or once in a while for our Rumble to Remember show. That's part of our uh, tour on the Winnipeg stop. Um, John Walker went by um, Dirty Dick Walker as well. He went by Mr. Pink. He was he had been around a while. He was God bless his soul for trying. Uh, but I think he had hit a uh, glass roof very early, and he wasn't wasn't the best guy to learn from. But uh, even to this day, it's still very important to be in there with uh, all kinds of people of different skill levels, abilities, and um, and styles, because you're gonna have to wrestle those people at one point or another. You can't just you know be in there with guys that are gonna carry you and be in there with you know the best of the best. You you got to be able to have a match with anyone with any you know, set of abilities and uh, cognitive skills as well. Absolutely. You don't talk about 1999. You know, that was a, you talked about making your debut then. My apologies. That was like a hot era in local wrestling. It was huge here. You know, there's a lot of promotions running around. The Winnipeg Wrestling Wars just before that too. Uh, what was that like, you know, being a part of such a hot era, debuting in that time? Could you, would you want to debut a later year looking back or would you stay, stick to 1999? I like I like the fact that it was so hot back then because it uh, it helped get those jitters out because wrestling wrestling attracted a crowd just based solely on the fact that it was wrestling. Wrestling was huge in the late '90s and early 2000s, so you could have a show at a community center with you know there's no notable uh, former television stars or anything like that on it, and you would have 100 150 people easily and uh, and. You, know, you you got over that fear of performing in front of a crowd pretty quick if it was there at all. For some guys, it came pretty naturally. Uh, for some guys, it was really a slower learning curve of being out there in front of people and being able to you know talk and move and react fluently without kind of tensing up and being like, oh my god, all the eyes in this gigantic uh, auditorium are on me right now, and what do I do? And freezing up. Uh, I think that was really beneficial and really helped a lot. And uh, like I said, you know, there was, it was a weird time. There wasn't a whole lot of veteran leadership. There was some, but there was a whole lot of guys that were 12 months or less into the, uh, into being professional wrestlers. Like I would say that was easily two thirds, if not three quarters of our roster, which is unheard of. And, you know, so many, so many guys under the age of 21 as well. So it looked like just a bunch of young kids in there and backyard. Uh, <laughs> not quite, but, uh, not I mean, yeah. Thankfully, there's not a lot of video footage floating around from that era. But the, the little bit that is, uh, you know, I look, I look back at it, and it's, hey, you know, that's that's how I started, and that's that's you know where we uh, where we came from, and I've grown and learned a lot since then. But at the same time, it's like, oh God, I hope nobody knows sees this. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, you were one of the first people, you know, I actually got to create a connection and a, a build a relationship on in the wrestling business in terms of learning and things like that. Um, back when I started going to the show. All right. And, you know, that there is another hot time in wrestling. You know, you were one of the first people I interacted with in wrestling and had a conversation with about the business growing up. But this one promoter is the first guy I ever talked to, the first guy I ever called in the business, and his name was Ernie Todd. And you worked for this individual in 2002, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. What was that? Yeah. What was that all about? Um, that must have been a roller coaster ride. It was, it was 2002, yes. Yeah. So um, essentially what had happened 
was there was a little bit of kind of uh, soap opera drama, surprise, surprise, with wrestling in, in the local scene where uh, essentially the two major organizations that you were either one or the other of when I first began was you're part of River City Wrestling or Canadian Wrestling Federation. And, and guys would kind of go back and forth and there was threats of lawsuits and all kinds of ridiculous, oh boy. you know, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just unnecessary trauma. And, and I was pretty the pecking order where really I just kind of I didn't involve myself in it I didn't go on the message boards I just you know showed up to the showed up to the shows and hey what do you need me to do this week and show up the training and, and that was that I think um, that was at the, the rendezvous wasn't it that was it was yeah so eventually Bernie Todd had purchased uh, River City Wrestling from Wayne Stanton when Bobby J was in the middle of attempting to purchase it and it was already you know kind of public knowledge that Bobby J was going to take over ownership so then then Bobby J um, began his own organization, Body Ring, and it was called Top Rope Championship Wrestling. I was part of that for a little while, uh, and eventually that kind of tapered off. And um, just you know, from the handful of years I had in, I had some friends that were in um, uh, Canadian Wrestling Federation (CWF), namely Dick Blood, who you know I spoke to and said, uh, "Hey, you know, maybe I can come over there. Maybe there's just a little bit more for me to do over there." And there was, so you know, Ernie was glad to have me. And, and I've heard a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about Ernie. I'm not saying they aren't true, but he was he was pretty cordial to me. Uh, you know, he, he paid me what he promised to pay me. Uh, there was never, he, you know, there was some kind of eye-rolling things that he would say where you're like, oh, okay, sure, sure, Ernie, whatever you say. Uh, there's one, one story in particular that stands out to me. There was a time where he would always try to mirror the storylines and, uh, angles that were going on on television like very recent ones so if they were doing very controversial stuff he was doing very controversial stuff like he was doing the boss against the one so-called rebel he needed one you know rebel the <laughs> rebel up against the boss yeah you know, it, was, it was it was very clear that he would, was doing that so anyways he was trying to do as much controversial stuff as possible and so basically we began but never finished an angle where um both Gene Swan and Brian Jewell would interfere in my matches on my behalf to help me win because both of them are under the impression that they are my father. And so uh, I know this is an audio interview, and so for those of you who have you know never seen visually myself or Gene Swan or Brian Jewell, I am of Irish descent. And those two gentlemen are of Canadian Aboriginal people descent, <laughs> so they're clearly not related. It's an, it would be an honor to come from that kind of pedigree. They're both amazing wrestlers, and they're both great guys too. But physically, genetically, I just don't think it's possible. I don't think anybody was buying it. But that was Ernie's idea, and be damned if we weren't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, you know, you remember Herb Abrams from the UWF? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. Besides all the controversy on the side there with the all the gimmicks, but like with with Ernie Todd, it just kind of reminds me of that guy. Just the storyline wise, you know, it just kind of reminded me of that that unique off the ball UWF kind of product that they had. Like when Ernie ran shows, how many seats were filled? Like was there big crowds back in that time? Oh yeah, the at the rendezvous, he had huge crowds. We uh. He would bring in he would bring in guys from BC and from Ontario. There was one time uh, there was a car load he brought up a couple times. He called them the Cambridge Connection from Cambridge, Ontario, and these guys were great wrestlers. One of which was a uh, a pre 
TNA, Eric Young, and uh, a couple other guys who I'm sure have all since uh, retired. Uh, Matt Bomber, the hacker, um, Floyd Osborne, the gnarly hippie, uh, Fat Boy JC Owens, and forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody, but these guys were all great wrestlers. And so they, and it just it was really the first experience of you know, a promoter bringing in guys from other areas for me that where it's like, okay, let's mix and match. Let's put, instead of you guys all wrestling each other over and over and over again, just going through the roster from A to Z and then back up to A again, let's give you guys some new guys to wrestle from and kind of learn something a little different and pick something up from and talk to and network with. And, um, you know, and that's really become a thing now where it's almost unheard of not to do that. But uh, but back then, you know, that was kind of like, oh, wow, we got some, some guys from a different organization coming to wrestle with us. That's That's huge. You know, I remember um, before, during, after all that, that whole hot era in the Winnipeg wrestling scene, you took a, a quite a hiatus. You took quite some time off. Uh, yes. And I remember during that time off, you know, uh, that's when you started to introduce me to the shows, introduce me to the talent and all the guys. And, you know, for something like that, something I could always uh, admire and respect because, you know, without you and getting that good first impression with everybody, uh, you know, God knows what possibility I even have. So... But my question to you in reference to that was, like, you took quite a long time off. Uh, is that Was that, like, just personal wish not to talk about it, or were you just not, like, really passionate about the product anymore at that certain time after the hotness was kind of dying down? Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head. I had, I had joined an organization uh, called Ringmasters Entertainment, RME, and, and at first it was kind of fun, and it was, okay, here's what we promised to be, and here's what we're doing, and, and then everything that he kind of said, here's what I promised will and won't happen, he did the, they did the opposite of, uh, it was a guy by the name of Angus, who was a ring announcer for CWF, and, and, and it just, it fell apart fast, and it just started becoming um, this huge chore. It wasn't fun anymore to, to show up to a show, it just became a big oh god i'm obligated to go to this you know it, it just it just stopped being fun and, and there was no real kind of hey you know what i think today's gonna be my last show it was just kind of hey available for this one nah you know i i just went i just did one last week and it was a big drag and i just you know i was there from early in the morning to late at night because you know it was there was no incentive for anybody to do any of the extras so you know me just being me i'd say yeah sure i'll help poster and flyer yeah sure i'll help set up the ring oh it's just me and cory kincaid doing it okay yeah and easy okay yeah sure i'll help tear down the ring oh that's three again wow look at that it just made for such long dragged out just bad days where it's just like okay i don't know if this is something i want to continue to you know do day in day out so i took uh i took a hiatus like you said it was you know a couple of years and um and then danny started running canadian wrestling's elite and uh he did his first rumble to remember in which um it became an annual thing where you know some some blast from the past appearances would uh, would show up in it and uh you know we had discussed me being a part of it and once I came back to it, I thought, hey, this is this is something I can get back into again. And by that time, I had really taken my, you know, um, my fitness and physicality a lot more serious. And so it was a little more um, of an athletic factor with me and a little more of a believability factor as well, too. And it just kind of skyrocketed from there. Now, I can't recall. I can't remember. Did you do any work for Tony Candelo before? I have, yes. Uh, most of that. Don would line up for us, though, in, in our early days. Um, that was also one of the benefits of being one of one of Don's students. Is anytime uh, Tony Candelo ran a show, he would uh, he would make sure that we were a part of it as long as we were available. Those were those were fun, um, but 
essentially, even at that point, and 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 it was one of our, our early early shows. We did it at the University of Manitoba, and we had Kurt on the show. Um, Tony really wasn't very hands on with anything aside from you know shaking your hand, saying hey, thanks for coming down, and then uh, and then handing out the pay. Um, you know, Don would book it. Don would kind of. Hey, we're short on time. Hey, you need to put in time. Hey, whatever kind of thing. Like, here's what I need from you. Good match. Hey, here's what I need to improve on. That kind of thing. Giving people feedback. Um, it was mo- it was mostly Don running the show with Tony's name attached to it, more or less. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, just like to ask because you know anybody that uh, gets to work for the Mr. Candelo is uh, obviously uh, it's an honor. So it's uh, yeah. And, and, the, and the, the times I did, it was it was a great experience. We did a we did a show in, I want to say it was 2000, maybe 2001, somewhere in there. Um, Garden City was the name of the venue. And it had, I would say, pushing a 1,000 people in, in the main event of the show. And ECW was still in existence at the time. Rhino was the ECW television champion. And it was Rhino versus Jerry Lynn was the main event. You know, it was, it was crazy to be on, uh, you know, that young and that early new business to be on a show with two guys back before the the contracts that were structured in a way where these guys could still do outside booking. So it was two guys that were currently on TV and here we are all on a show together. It was, it was pretty cool as a, as a young guy to be able to be part of that. You also had uh, two matches in high impact wrestling, you know, getting out there in Saskatchewan, you know, uh, a little bit of a similar style to CWE in which now CWE uh, does shows in Saskatchewan now, uh, thanks to the right. great uh, talent of HIW, which sold their organization um but talk about that you know i i made that road trip once i thought it was a really good experience uh, anything to stand out about hiw any stories uh working there yeah it was uh, it was a fun time it was uh danny uh, and canadian wrestling's elite had a had a good working relationship with the uh promoter at hiw so sometimes when bringing in um you know a former wwe wcw name uh they would kind of piggyback off each other it's like okay um I'm doing a tour of these six dates. Do you want to use him dates after that? You know, just from our last show, he can go on to your first show and do a couple dates. And it was, yeah, no, whatever. They go halfers on the plane and, you know, just make things a little more economic for everybody. Um, so this tour had uh, Tito Santana on it. And uh, and Tito was awesome. Him and I drove together the whole tour. Just great guy. Like, it was like driving with a rock star, the stories he had. <laughs> but uh, I digress anyway. So, uh, so Danny said, hey, well, we got... Uh, one more show. He's short a guy in uh, in York. Can, can you come do it? And, uh, my family lives in uh, Melinda, Manitoba, which isn't too far from there. And I was going to go spend a couple days down on the farm. After I said, Yeah, sure, I'll come. I'd love to, you know, come to the York and show, work for a different reporter, and just head down to uh, to my mom's place afterwards. So I got to work with a guy who's about the uh, same age as me. He was a little uh, a little newer in, into the wrestling business because he had spent some time as a Mixed martial artist actually, and then he transitioned over to professional wrestling by the name of uh, Bobby Gamble. Yeah, and he was yes. he was a great guy, great to work with. Yeah, we had we had a fun little match, and then uh, you know the the show. I remember the show being extremely long, like time wise, and there was a battle royal at the end. I thought, oh my god, you know, like okay, cool, whatever. Um, and I got into this battle royal, and I, and I really now it's all a blur who was who, but you know, every single guy I was doing something with was just throwing. Stiff punches, and I was like, "Did I, you know, fuck one of you guys' wives or something?" <laughs> what the hell, man? But that's just how they were. That's just, I guess, how these guys work. It was nothing personal against me. I was like, "Throw me out, dude!" Yeah, fuck. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so out I went, and uh, you know, that was that. We got changed. It was just, uh, you know, me, me, Danny, AJ, and Tito that went on to do the show. Tito continued on with them, and 
me, Danny, and AJ had a quick bite to eat, and off we went. You know, I want to talk about one of the big questions is obviously the experience you've had with all the big names that CW brought in because, uh, you know, you were the guy that picks them up and everything. I want to go into that, but let's talk about 2012 into retrospect here. Uh, when sure. CWE all, you know, they ran shows at the Northern. They ran shows and they did shows in Sewerus and in the Burden. They did those small little tours as well. As well, I also did, uh, I think it was the one in venue in the North End. I forget what it's called, the Fraternal Hall. So these are really early days, you know, working with the likes of Darren Dalton, Vance Nevada. You also worked with Tito Santana as well against AJ Sanchez and Vance Nevada. So that's a great first year, you know, coming back to CWE, working with these names. So what was yeah. the, what was the uh, two-part question on the first question here on CWE? How was the Northern Hotel venue? Was that a little harder to work in due to the environment? Or was that just something that's part of the everyday office job? No, not at all. That that was a little more uh, intimate, interactive, so to speak. That was a blast. I loved working at the Northern just because there wasn't a person in there. So, so for me, as a, as a heel character, uh, oh, yeah. So as a heel character, you know, a, a villainous character, my, my job is to make every person in that place, you know, screaming for my blood, right? And, and that that was one of the venues where it was the absolute easiest to go out there just be a prick and every person in that building's, you know, yelling like, hey, kill that fucker, take his head off, destroy it. You know, like every, it was, it was so much fun. The people, uh, the people gave you what you were trying to get out of them. I, I loved working there. And, you know, I, I know there's some guys that were kind of, you know, dicey on be, even being in that end of town. And, and that's fine to each their own. Uh, you know, not everybody has the same experiences and the same, you know, uh, perspectives on things. But, but for me, I loved it. It was, it was great. It was a great atmosphere. Absolutely. And talk about these names, you know, I remember like usually the routine was is Danny Duggan, great guy, shout out, always lets me do these interviews after the show. So what I would always do is I would always wait for them. And you, it, it was perfect because you were picking these guys up. And before you left, you, you were nice enough to sit there on the bench like for you remember this, like for 20 minutes. Yep. And, and I would like interview these guys and I was getting I was, Danny was throwing a lot of names at me because anybody he was booking on my show was almost a next to nothing guarantee on my podcast. So, dude, that was amazing for me to have that interaction. But you got that personal interaction, you know, you got to road with them. You got to talk football with Scott Steiner. You had so many good moments. So what are like, let's do a top three. We do a top three with every interview here. Who are the top three guys that you've been on the road with in terms of like bigger names? Oh, God. Um... Right, let me think about that one. So top three, uh, like top three as in top three biggest names or top three as in my top three favorite? Top three, like favorite experiences. You know, guys that favorite were just down there if you enjoyed it. I'd have to say Chris Masters. Chris Masters just an awesome, awesome dude from the second I grabbed him at the airport to the second we had to you know, see him off. I, I believe that tour was five days or six days. Um, and, and he was nothing but just a chill, fun bust his ass in the ring, like have a thousand laughs with, go for a bite to eat, you know, just like a couple times, you know, it's me and my girlfriend go to Denny's for a bite to eat kind of thing. And he was just like the coolest guy. Let's have a drink. Let's have, you know, whatever else we want to like, whatever, just, just an awesome, awesome dude, you know, always up for like, Hey, what's, what's the after party like tonight? 
oh, there really isn't one. Well, we'll just go for a bite to eat. Cool. Or hey, it's at this nightclub after the show. Hey, cool. You know, like he, he didn't care. He, he was he was down for all of it. And he was so great. So it's so easy to work with. So easy to to get along with. And like we still shoot a text back and forth here and there to this day. Just super super cool dude. Um, I would have to say Scott Steiner. Um, and again, some people are like, oh, he's a little standoffish and he's a little rough around the edges. And some people even are like, oh, he's a jerk. I'm like, man, Scott is cool. Oh, he's <laughs> yeah. And again, like we rode together and he's intense. Um, but at the same time, you know, huge NFL fan. So right off, right out of the gates, you know, it was, you know, a two or three hour drive one of the days. And we we're just sitting there like it was a nonstop, like up and down the NFL, you know, 32 team rosters. Kind of thing, right? <laughs> like and, he, and I can tell he was loving it, right? You know, and, and again, laughing and joking, just you know. And, and, and he, how you see him on, uh, you know, in, in these interviews on TV, he's not turning on a character. That's that's how he is. Um, so on the very last night of the tour, we're in Morden, and there's uh, the hotel sponsor at the time also has a, a lounge, and I, I don't recall the name of the lounge, but whatever, you know, they serve food there. So the whole bunch of us all go there to help, you know, support the sponsor and you know keep that relationship strong. And so there's a large table of us, and the waitress comes over to, to take everybody's order. And no matter where we went, Scott needed to have a steak. Like, hey, let's go to Denny's. <laughs> got a steak. There. Let's put a boss pizza because they got steak there. He he ate one, if not two, steaks a day wherever we went. And so, uh, so the, she's going around taking everyone's order, and he's sitting next to me. And then, uh, so she asks his order first, and he gets a steak and shrimp. And then they come to me next, and I go, um, I'll get a Cajun chicken wrap, please. And he just interrupts, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Buy him one of what I'm having and put it on my tab. And he's like, appreciate everything you've done for me, brother. You know, <laughs> such an awesome guy. Eh? Like, 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 I was like, okay, I'm not gonna argue with you, dude. So he, he was, he, he's, he's definitely in the top three. This is no particular order. This isn't like first, second, and third or anything like that. Um, and then, oh god, there's, there's, there's just been so many cool, like, uh, let, let me, let me think on this third one here. You know. I'd probably have to say Jake Roberts for the third one. Cause again, what what you see and what you get with him, that's that's him, man. Like that's that's how he is twenty four seven. And he's he's like a, a stand up comedian nonstop. Like like and, and the stuff that comes out of his mouth, like you you don't want children in the room if, if he's speaking, period. And uh, actually, as a matter of fact, so one of the times that, that, that Jake came in, um Danny was was away, and so uh, it was for the, the C4 Comic Con, and so they had reached out to Danny ahead of time and said, "Hey, can him and and there's two or three other wrestlers that were you know brought in former WWE stars that were brought in, hey, can they come down and do a uh, a question and answer session?" He said, "Well, I really can't because my arrangement with them isn't a flat rate. They make a, you know a percentage off their sales, so anytime they're away from their table is time that they're losing money. So I what you know it really doesn't work with the uh, you know the business relationship we have with them." And they said okay sure no problem so we were doing little blocks where there was you know a couple matches and then you know there'd be a break and then a couple matches and there'd be a break and the the, the wwe stars that were there they weren't doing matches they were just strictly there for signings and so uh so anyways while we were in the middle of the matches the uh one of the organizers of the event snuck over to the table and said oh hey it's, it's uh we have this arrangement where you're doing this q a session I, i'm supposed to come get you and so you know somebody comes and gets me the ring announcer whatever comes and gets me and says hey they're taking away i was like oh Fuck sakes, we they asked us about this and we said no. So I get over there, they're outside the door. I said, uh, I said, hey, you know, like uh, this isn't this isn't cool. Like 
you would ask us this. We said no because of the nature of our business arrangement that, that, that we can't do this, right? Because we can't take time away from, from their time at their table. And then uh, and the person tried to play it off like, oh, really? Because there's all these people in there already waiting and they want to have questions for these three wrestlers. And it was uh, it was Tito, actually. It was Tito, Jacob Snake, and Victoria. And so uh, so all of them like, look, you know, Kevin, it's okay. Um, just, you know, we'll go in, we'll answer the questions. It's fine, it's fine. Don't, don't worry about it. And I was like, hey, sure, man, I feel horrible. You know, and they're like, no, nah, don't worry. Because then we look like we look like the ass if everyone's waiting for us, we say no, you know, for whatever. We'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it short. And then Jake puts his hand on my shoulder. He's like, don't worry, brother. I got this. So we go in there. And there's more kids than there is adults in this room. And every, and so, of course, you know, Jake's the, the biggest star of the three. Not that the, not that the other two aren't, but, but Jake is definitely the one who people are there to, to, to see more than the other ones. And so, so a good majority of the questions are directed towards him. And every question, you know, was, oh, do you remember the time you wrestled so-and-so and this and this happened on this and this episode? And he was just, oh, fuck, we were so fucking high in those days. I <laughs> oh, fucking blur, dude. Oh, I, I wish I had an answer for you. You know, and, and you can just see the folder like, oh, my God, like the event organizer. Oh, my God. Just trying to get things along. Yeah, they got us out of there pretty quick anyway. Jake looking over at me, winking and smiling. I'm like, oh, you are awesome. You're the best, Jacob. <laughs> Oh, man. I, I remember that, too. You know, I asked Jake for an interview that day. And you know what? He was busy selling. That was my own fault. But I remember, actually, that, that there was one of my biggest regrets of my podcasting career is because Rob Van Dam was booked, too. I think this was the time Rob Van Dam was booked for CWE2 doing these signings. So yeah. what do I do? I go to Rob Van Dam's table, ask him nicely for an interview. The guy says yes. The guy says yes. What do I do? I, I, I don't know why. I somehow just go home. I was waiting an hour. I go home. And, and, and then he looked for me. And then I missed it. It was just terrible. I remember that day. All I had to do was buy a hot dog or like buy a drink and wait. And then I remember that day. But I do. Uh, I was not there for that Jake thing. And I, I really wish I would. I would have cheered up the day. That's for sure. That's pretty It's pretty immense. I miss those C4 shows because it's really interactive. And it's a good way to get... Uh, non-wrestling fans that are interested in similar what topics of entertainment into wrestling you know like let's look, oh go ahead sorry oh sorry I was, I was agreeing yes exactly like look at the japanese product you know japanese it doesn't have to be japanese wrestling but a lot of it relates to each other because it's it, it catches the eye it's it catches awe and i feel like wrestling at the comic con does that because you have a ring there it looks nice i think it's that blue ring that they have and I remember yeah. that ring. Like that that was literally that that catches an eye. And I feel like more Comic Con shows need to be done to spread the word of local wrestling. I'm sure you agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Yes, definitely helps get some eyes on the product that you know maybe weren't aware of it before. But we we got a little in the weeds a little there, Jordan. You said you had a two part question. The first one was my top three names that I've toured with. <laughs> and they, you know, like as I'm telling this, I'm thinking like, oh man, but Paul Orndorff was super cool too. And I'm like, oh man, Carlito was such a wicked dude. And I'm th you know, and like, oh man, like Jimmy Jacobs is so awesome. I'm like, oh man, the Kingdom Rose, those are such cool fucking guys, man. And like, oh man, Chris Hero was so fucking good to me. And like, oh, I love Val. Like, I should have thrown him. Like, like it's it's so like there's that old saying, you know, uh, never meet your heroes. For whatever reason, in wrestling, it's the opposite. Like, there's. You know, like, there's very, very, very few of these guys who aren't just the coolest fucking guys to be on the road with and chill with. 
And uh, and one of the things that, that I enjoy most about it, and I think this is where you were heading with your second question, um, is is that that's that's where I do a lot of my learning. So so some of these guys when they come in, they have a, a seminar, and you know like whether it be uh, somebody who's you know been around a long time, like Val Venus or like a vampire or whatever, I'll attend that, and I'll always take something away. Or Scott Norton, another awesome dude. Um, and, and sometimes uh, you know, sometimes they don't have a seminar just for the. Uh, you know, just because of the time sensitivity of, of their flight in and flight out, it just sometimes isn't something that, that we can arrange. And, and, and that's cool, too, you know. But, like, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, whether it's going for a bite to eat or, you know, just driving uh, driving to head to the next town or whatever, like, you know, I don't sit there and bug them, you know. But we have a conversation and they'll kind of, you know, eventually we'll get around to their perspectives on things. And then, you know, they're usually almost always cool enough to, like, hey, you know, do you mind, you know. I know my match and let me know what you think or my promo or whatever kind of thing. And, and, and they've always got, there's always something to learn from these people, right? You know, cause they've, they've been places where we haven't, you know, and that, that just about everybody in that locker rooms should be aspiring to get to kind of thing. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's such a great opportunity to just, you know, hang out, chill with these guys and, and, and pick their brains and ask them questions and, and, you know, get to know their way of thinking and their approach and what they think of how, uh, you know, I'm doing or what it is that that maybe I'm not doing, and and I've learned and grown so much just from from that end of it, right? Just from just from meeting all these people that have had tremendous success and and getting their input on you know what I should and shouldn't be doing. Absolutely. Well, you know what, Kevin? You know, having one of uh, the top guys here in Winnipeg Wrestling to share some great stories and great tales of our amazing history in the scene has been absolutely amazing. From RCW to uh, CWE now. Well, I guess my last question would be, you know, you may play a huge role uh, behind the scenes and on camera. You're even a commentator for CWE, which you can actually check out on YouTube, uh, CWE TV. I'm going to be asking Road Warrior Animal about the Zubaz and how he created them. And he's going to even check the commercial out. So that's going to be like... Awesome. Yeah, so that, that's going to be awesome stuff. So, like, CWE, my question for you is all that TV work you've done, all that adrenaline is creating bigger things now for this company in terms of touring and things like that. Uh, when can people see the Canon Corporation in action in the future? And how can people across, not just in Winnipeg, across Canada, check out these great shows for more information? These great shows are available, like you said, on YouTube on the CWE Wrestling channel and uh you know there, there's some big things coming up coming up ahead too that in the very very new future uh, uh unfortunately like the rest of the world uh you know this virus that's out there has really uh you know hampered a lot of our uh livelihoods but we're, we're slowly but surely making our way back and um our next appearance for the Canon corporation we're september 3rd we are in oak lake manitoba that's just kind of north of Souris and west of Brandon. And then September 4th, we are back in Winnipeg's favorite uh, wrestling venue, Rookie Sports Bar, out in Transcona. That is the Friday night of the long weekend. And then Saturday, CW makes its return to Flim Flam, Manitoba. Um, Again, you know, like uh, eight hours north of the city. But, hey, Flim Flon has always been really, really good to us. I remember traveling up there Great about time. two years ago with, uh, with Scott Norton. And, uh, you know, once again, sharing some amazing stories and amazing perspectives on, on the wrestling industry and just, you know, making an amazing friend, you know, in general. But, uh, but yeah, if you want to see some of the uh, some of the stars of Canadian Wrestling's Elite, including the Cannon Corporation, yeah, head on down to Rookies Oak Lake or Flim Flon over the September long weekend and uh, – you know, hopefully we can provide some good entertainment for you, help take your mind off things for at least a couple hours.
Absolutely. Well, Kevin Cannon, thank you so much for being on the Jordan Garber Now podcast. Any final words from you and the corporation, perhaps? Hey, man, like if, if all it takes is just checking out one one match, one YouTube match or one show or whatever, and it's not your thing, then it's not your thing. But but I urge everyone out there, give it a try because there are so many people that have thought, ah, you know, that wrestling is not really me. And then they come to a show and they're like, oh, my God. That was a blast. And some people came to the show and said, okay, yeah, it really wasn't for me. But but you don't know until you try it. So please, 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 I urge everyone out there, support independent wrestling. If you haven't been to a show, go to at least one. Check it out. See what it's all about. Who knows? You might find your new thing that you are into and that you can't miss an episode of. Right on. Well, Kevin Cannon, thank you for being on the Jordan Garber Now podcast. Are you that wrestling fan looking for that perfect television package to meet your needs? Well, Real Aid Media has the perfect option for you. With the Wrestling Box promo, you pay for the box for $199.95. After that, you're only paying $29.95 per month with no contracts and no obligations. Real Aid Media also provides marketing services operating in five countries. To book an appointment, or to get your wrestling package, go to stevenbenzelock.bookify.com. That's stevenbenzelock at bookify.com. Check it out. Real Aid Media, providing great wrestling content for a cheap price. And thank you very much for listening to the Jordan Garber Now podcast. Those were both two interviews with none other than Austin Towers and the mastermind, Kevin Cannon. We're going to be back next week. We're going to have more interviews here on Jordan Garber Now every single Friday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For myself, Jordan Garber, you guys have yourselves a great night. You guys are listening to the Jordan Garber Now podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.